on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Leighton Orient from E10. We are top of the league and what a fine feeling that is. Hello again. Uh, welcome to the Orient Hour. This is Steve Tung and welcome in the studio to Legends Lounge regular Richard Priest. How are you? Good, thank you, Steve. Good. Um, supporters liaison officer Karen Harrison, you get a medal for going to Oxford. How many were there last night? 132, I think. One, and three, I get two. to share my medal. Yes, yes, you should, uh, with the man next to you, because our normal teammate Trevor Singfield is away, but he will return, fear not. We have a super sub for Trevor in the form of Darren Burrows, who also gets an Oxford medal. Welcome. Cheers, Steve. It was a pleasure to go and watch us play. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> we will come to Oxford later. But not only that, we have shortly an exclusive interview recorded this very day with none other than Omar Beckles. Baby, Omar will be talking, of course, about the fine start to the league season, how Richie Wellens has changed things, why he's happy with those short goal kicks that give some of us kittens. Uh, but he's got a very interesting backstory, too, about his career as a whole, all the places he's played, um, while always believing he'd come home to Waltham Forest and Orient. He talks about his religious faith and how that got him through the family tragedy of losing his father, who was a musician turned pastor who actually appeared on Top of the Pops. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up later after we've had some first thoughts on Saturday's eventful win over Hartlepool, how the League Two table is shaping up at this early stage, and we'll discuss a little more reluctantly the start of the Papa John's Trophy at Oxford last night. And well done to anyone listening who made the journey as well. There may be a couple of serious points to come out of the game, of course. And after hearing from Omar and Dave Victor, who was also naturally at both games, we'll move ahead to Saturday and the visit of Tranmere Rovers. Plus, as we speak, on Wednesday evening, there's about 28 hours of the transfer window left until 11pm Thursday. The club have said in the last hour or so there will be one more signing to be announced tomorrow. So a bit of speculation about that to come. But let's get some thoughts on Leighton Orient 4, Hartlepool 2. Uh, Rich, pretty positive thoughts, although maybe not 100%? Yeah, um Good performance, uh, probably could say similar to what we've said a bit, could have been more frustrating to concede two goals. Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I never put us on my acker ever, but I did on Saturday, that's how confident I was. 
Um, so that speaks volumes for that, really. But um, but yeah, some good goals, some good play. Um, Hartlepool, I didn't think really offered anything. And I suppose the frustration is they still came out of it with two goals as well. But um, yeah, good performance. Karen, what was the view from the North Stand? Everybody happy? seem to be I think they uh, everyone thought that Hartlepool were going to be the whipping boys and we were going to sort of win this 8-9-0 you know especially after hearing that Liverpool were winning 9-0 at one stage um, and I think everybody thought that it would be the same for us but um, Hartlepool came you know they, they had their game plan and uh, it just you know we won so we're happy days we did Darren do you ever have the Orient on your acca? Or are you too experienced for that? Do you know what? I don't actually do one, Steve. And I'm just listening to Rich saying that. I should do one. I should. Because uh, I've got quite a good knack, actually, Steve, at picking results. And, uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. But, um, no, I, I, look, for me, Saturday, what was pleasing about Saturday was the way Orient quickly restored their two-goal advantage on both occasions. And, and that's the mark of, I think, of the hallmark of a good side. So I took the positives. Um, I don't think... When you get to our tender age, Steve, that when we're at the top of the league, if you're not taking the positives out of that, then you've got to pick the bones out of that in a positive way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm very flattered that you're putting me in the same category as tender age as you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, begin at the beginning. Um, goal in four minutes, about two of that, I think, was Hartlepool players arguing, wasn't it, about whether it was outside the box or no foul. And it was actually the second time that Kelman had got past the defender and probably the second time he'd fouled him. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it back. It, I mean, the initial contact's outside. But, I mean, I, I was reading something that said, you know, when the actual... He was still on, in contact with him inside, which is when he came down. But I think it's one of those, I think, if it was given against us... I, Possibly would have been a, a bit annoyed, sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you could see the. I think the Hartlepool player. I think when he gave it away, he knew it was given. But it was the surprise was in the fact it was awarded as a penalty. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll take those. I mean, maybe it's a sign that things are actually going our way for a change. So well, and the fact that we've got a reliable penalty taker, it would seem. Yeah, I say again, I watched that back, and he's actually keeper was actually closer to it than I realised at the time as well. I, I didn't realise the keeper was that close. I thought he'd sort of buried it quite well, but yeah, I mean, it's a very well struck penalty, and uh, it's great to see it when those go in. So, Karen uh, got the early goal. Um, those were a few pessimists who uh, who'd said it was all set up for a 1-0 defeat in typical Orient fashion uh, against a bottom team. But um, a half an hour later, we did have at least one scare in, in defence and were hauled back to 1-1. Yeah, I thought that the uh, Hartlepool number nine, he, he did like to seem to play a bit of basketball. But then because when, uh, when he scored the goal, it was like, why was it him, you know? But it's, uh, yeah, 1-1, but... You know, at the moment, the way the team are playing, you've always got faith that they're going to come back and get get more, and thankfully they did. And Darren, a great response. Um, Theo Archibald sending in Kelman uh, down the line to score again within six minutes, and, and then Paul Smith. I think Theo's claiming two assists for that. Um, Kelman, in particular, really does seem to have come on. Yeah, and, and I think that's, what, three three goals in four games now for Kelman. So he's making that position his own, isn't he? And it's interesting what Richie says about coaching him to work harder along that uh, that line and, and run those channels, and that's praying dividends. And then Smythe, for my thinking, um, I think him and Tom James would get, even if we didn't win well and convincingly, would get in the team, uh, League Two teams most week. Um, Hartlepool... A poor side, would you agree? They did have further chances and, and they took one with the penalty, El Missouri conceding it. Yeah, I, I, do you know what? It was a pen, wasn't it? So we can't have any gripes about that. Are they a poor side? I think 
it's still a bit tad early yet in the season, Steve, to, to sort of be judging teams too harshly. I don't want to get carried away with us being a good side, so I don't think it's fair to then say they're a poor side. Fair enough. Um, and Karen, uh, we didn't have to suffer a, a horribly anxious last 20 minutes because uh, Rule got on with a fine finish almost as soon as he'd come on. Good for his confidence as well. Yeah, I think it was his first touch, wasn't it? And it so, must uh, have been. Yeah, so if that's going to be his first touch, come on every week. <laughs> Back actually from um, Kelman for that as well. Yes, some debate about whether it was an assist or not. I think, <laughs> but um, Ruel did sound very buoyant in his uh, in his after-match interview, although he's not starting at present. Actually, just to uh, diversify slightly, I did hear a good story about assists. They are they are taken very seriously these days. I'm sure not just by uh, the statisticians and bookmakers and everybody else, um, but of course there are very different sorts of assists. And this is the story told. If you remember Maradona against England at the World Cup in 1986. Not the hand of God goal, but the one where he dribbles through most of the England team and goes around Shilton and scores. And uh, as a player called Hector Enrique, who was in the Argentina team, who, when he's asked, uh, was that the greatest goal ever scored, says, no, how could he miss when I gave him a pass like that? That was the Argentina story. Um, but so, uh, Theo, yes, a couple of good assists. Um, we were able to take off uh, Moncur and Theo had had slight injury problems before the game. Um, give Jordan Brown and Craig Clay some game time and kept the ball an awful lot more, which I thought, I wondered if it divided the crowd a little bit. In the North Stand, you seem to be enjoying all that, that knocking the ball around 20 times without going anywhere. Where I was in, in the West Stand, there are a few people who don't appreciate that as much. They don't particularly like it, but you seem to be enjoying it at your end. Um, I think what it is, is it's all stat-based, isn't it? You know, If they've got possession and you know the other team obviously haven't, and then if they, I think it all just works well for their numbers if they just carry on with the passing game, doesn't it? So. Yes, it probably does. Uh, Rich, are the people around you happier with the general, just the general possession game, which we are playing a lot more this season, which we talked to Omar Beckles a bit a bit about later. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's not the the sense of frustration that's been in the past when you know the ball goes backwards, or I mean, and I think as Karen says, you know, if, as long as I don't mind that if we. We're, we're winning, especially. It's, it's quite. I'm fine with it then, especially if there's a two-goal cushion. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I've got same as everyone. There's a few people around me that always say something negative, but I mean, they're probably a bit more quiet than usual. I mean, I think most people are in agreement that we're we're seeing something pretty good at the moment, and it doesn't happen often, as Aaron said. So we want to make the most of it. Yeah. Of course, of course. The other thing that doesn't happen very often, of course, we don't score five very often, which I sometimes think is quite a, a little psychological point. Um, I thought, of course, it was Hartlepool last season, oddly enough. Um, never in the season before, I don't think. And even in the National League, Darren away at Braintree, but uh, not at home at all, I think. We, did, we didn't score that many goals in that title-winning season, funnily enough. You, um, anything special about getting to five, or are you perfectly happy with a 4-2? Yeah, no, um, good point, Steve. I hadn't considered it. Uh, that 4-2, um, good score, two-goal clear win. Uh, and like I said, I, I was more impressed with the way we restored the lead, the two-goal lead too quickly. I, I, I felt we could have moved up another gear Saturday. And again, I don't want to get carried away, but um, we, we, we will have tougher tests than Hartlepool. I, I, again, I agree, going back on myself and contradicting myself, they didn't appear to be the best side, but they, they might surprise a few, given one or two players in. I, I don't think they were, were anything worse than, say, Grimsby Steve, for example. 
Really? Well, that's, that's generous. Um, it's all good statistically, certainly. The goal difference is the best in the division. Uh, top scorers in the division, 12 in two games. Um, last season's top scorer, Aaron Drynan, of course, not played one minute in, in the league, though at last he got on last night. And Stevenage losing in the last minute at Salford on Saturday meant we're, we're clear on points for the first time. Uh, Rich, what do you think about the, the quality? If you look, I mean, statistically, we've only played one team in the, in the top half of the table. That was Mansfield, and, and we're a bit fortunate to beat them, to be honest, weren't we? Yes, but I, I think at this stage it doesn't mean... I mean, it's not, those teams aren't in the top half because we've beaten them at the moment. That's, you know, when there's five or six games played, I don't think it really means anything who's in the top half and who's in the bottom half. Um, I mean, one of the things Richie mentioned earlier on, actually, was um, someone asked him about, um, you know, what's he been pleased with and not pleased with this. I don't, he didn't really mention anything he's not been pleased with, but he did say up until the last two games, he was he thought we would have scored a lot more goals than we have. And, and I, that's probably what I would have said as well. Um, you know, Mansfield, I know it was only 1-0, but Grimsby, you know, I felt that we, we were missing, it's Swindon, you know, we were missing a lot of chances or we weren't, we just weren't putting them away. Um, and I'm glad, you know, we've sort of, I'm surprised. I didn't know that we've we've got the scored the most goals in the division because that's probably pretty much just come from the last two games, really. Um, but I think you know he said himself he thought we would have scored more, and I would have thought as well. But hopefully now over those last two games we, we'll we'll start doing that more regularly. And it's nice to see that the front line are getting a lot more service to actually have those chances. Yeah, I think as well. You know, as he said, like Kelman, he's you know I was probably a bit unfair on him earlier on because I thought he. But then at the same time, he probably only had two chances and, and took both of them, really. And, you know, for me, I sort of said I didn't think he was a natural finisher, but I think he's probably starting to show that maybe he knows <laughs> people know a lot more than I do when it comes to watching things like that because he does look like that. You know, the last couple of goals he scored, I think, look really good. Um, they're great finishes. So I suppose it just goes to show, you know, if you have that the regular game time that Richie's always talking about and, and you're training you know you're getting to know your teammates a lot more than it makes a world of difference and he, he's putting all those 90 minutes under his belt now as well and you know he's, he's he hasn't been a regular starter really anywhere he was quite young at south end's not really played for qpr i think jill and me only joined them kind of january so you know he hasn't really had a full season as such um and i think drinan to be honest i think he's he's going to be relying on almost injury i think to come back into the team really i know he's got to build up his fitness himself but you know, the way Kelman's playing, I, I can't see him changing the team at the moment unless results start going drastically wrong, which hopefully they won't. No, no. Um, slightly greedy striker as well, possibly, which is good when the goals are going in. I thought there were at least one occasion, maybe two on Saturday, when he, he had a shot second half, if you remember. I think it was Monker was right in front of the goal, didn't look terribly pleased. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're always going to get that, I think, aren't you? I mean, a, a striker's, I think... Generally, I mean, I mean, the thing is, he's, he's what you'd class as a number nine as well. I think, I think if you were, had a player more like Drinnen, who's possibly more a number ten, say, they'd be one who would probably look for the pass a bit more. Um, but I think someone like Soterio, who who like, plays at number ten, but I would class him more as a nine as well. I mean, we saw it a bit last night. Actually, there was a couple of times where you know, Georgia, I think he had a shot, and there was two people in the area free. Um, yeah, you know, a player's always going to do that, and and it, that's not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes if they come off, you you're laughing sort of thing. So. Yeah, fair play to Charlie Kilman. I was the same as you, actually. I don't, and um, Darren, I'm sure you were at uh, Crawley, and he had a hard game there, didn't he? And I think some of us were worrying if he if he was going to be up to it, but he's he's come on an awful lot since he, then. He did, yeah. He he didn't he didn't get off to an amazing start, did he? No. Um, but then again, I think you know we're all sort of old enough and wise enough to sort of realise that you've got to give everyone a chance in in life, let alone football. So I think the fact that he's he's growing in confidence and growing in fitness, growing in form, growing in, in, into the team, 
we're seeing the benefit and long, as Richie said and Kieran said, long may it continue. And one or two other individual performances, um, maybe if we start at the back, uh, Rob Hunt um, keeps getting built up by the manager, but perhaps a little bit understandable that he's brought mm. in a player who he's clearly fancies it very much himself to the expense of Connor Wood, but he's justified it really, hasn't he? The I, I think so. I think Hunt was uh, a missing piece for Jigsaw. Um, because I don't understand McConnor some, sometimes because I don't think he's actually a bad defender and a couple of managers haven't fancied him, let's be honest. Yeah. So, But I, I think when you look at uh, his performance, say, last night, he's very one-dimensional. He, he is only a defender. And I think in the modern game, managers want more from their fullbacks, And I think that's where Connor's perhaps lacking. Yep, that's Rob Hunt done well. Um, and at the back, the only since Tom James got fit again and came back in, the only real change has been that Dan Happy uh, started because of the suspensions. Then Shad got back in, and and then Dan Happy's replaced him again, and has probably deserved that, hasn't he? I, I think so. On balance, just about. Um, I'm probably more of a Shad fan than I am a Dan Hat fan overall. But uh, we'll talk about last night's performance and the goal that, that unfortunately he was involved in. Well, he was involved in all five of them, weren't he? But, you know, the, the, the one particular one that was completely down to him. Um, yeah, no, I think fair play to Dan Hap. He looks like a lad that's in the last year of his contract and, and needs to prove a point. And, and I think we're, again, reaping the benefit of that, Steve. Yeah, he did talk pre-season uh, interview, actually, in the Football League paper about admitting what a poor season he'd had last time and, and how he needed it this season. Um, Karen, what about uh, Idris El Mizuni of the North Stand falling in love with him? Well, he's he, the, he's Tunisian. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, very good. He's, he, he's come in and he's done a job. He's you know, it's he's a bit more of the sort of midfield jigsaw piece, like you say, big bit of the jigsaw piece that we would seem to be missing. You know, he's a lot more attacking. Just seems to get a lot more fo- forward, a lot more. And uh, I think that's why the like I say earlier, the, the front line are benefiting from the fact that there's somebody in there that's prepared to fight and push forward at the same time. But then he'll go back and he'll defend his place as well. But unfortunately, uh, on Saturday when he gave away the penalty. But yeah, is it is it the right balance in midfield now, Rich, with with um, Prattley and Moncur? It's clearly that they're clearly the top three at the moment to be in. There. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, Mizuni. Because the good thing is with El Mizuni is he can, and I think they said this when they came in, but I didn't wasn't sure how to sort. Of, they, they, he said I can play a number four, or number eight. Um, and, you know, when people say that, you sort of think, well, all right, you're going to say that because that's why you've been bought in. But um, I think he probably could, you know, because that number four position is almost like a quarterback. Where he's sort of spraying the passes out as well. It's not just the defensive work like probably Jordan Brown would do. He's actually, I mean, we're saying that Jordan Brown put a couple of great passes in last night as well, actually. But, um, you know, I, I think he's he's got that bit of flair, hasn't he, as well, which we were probably missing. Um, and we've seen a couple of times when Prattley's gone off and, and El Mizuni's moved forwards. He seems more than capable there. I mean, it was it was an unfortunate mistake for the goal, I think, uh, for the penalty to give away. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I suspect the player we're bringing in tomorrow is going to be a midfielder. So it'll be interesting there because obviously Clay's coming back as well to see if if that is or not. I mean, I know that was what we were saying we needed, but. You know, maybe after last night, we're looking at a defender instead of a, a centre-back, instead of a centre-midfielder. I, th- but... I thought you said we wanted a centre-half. I mean, I, I think we still need both, to be honest, but um, yeah. I was going to say, I think we're probably more looking for a regular person to be at the back with Omar. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's only purely because Richie kept mentioning that we needed a midf... I just got the impression that El Mizuni wasn't his first choice. So we, we're still trying to get that first choice player, a centre-midfielder in. 
But if El Mazzini's forced his hammer out to say, well, look, actually, you don't need it now because Craig Clay's coming back, I'm in here. And, and after last night especially, you know, maybe we do need someone that can, can play at the back. I mean, it, it, Dan Happy as well, we were saying. I mean, he's, I think we've won every game he's played so far. So it'd be very harsh. I mean, he's still, you know, I still... But I feel it with any of our central defenders, I've got to be honest, that I've, you know, Shad was the one I probably felt more comfortable with. But after last night, that's probably all slightly now. But I still feel there's an error there somewhere. And I'd like... You know, someone, you know, who Alex Mitchell, when he was there last season, I always felt very confident with him there. He, he didn't seem to make too many mistakes, which, like we mentioned about Rob Hunt, you know, I read a thing from a Swindon fan that said he's he's just a 7 out of 10 every week. And that's exactly what you need. You don't have to have someone that's that's flash. You don't have to have someone that's man in a match every week. But if they're that, I mean, 7 out of 10 is a good rating every single week, you know. So if you can just get someone that's that solid, that steady, and I, I, I do feel that's possibly what we're lacking at centre-back at the moment. And if we can find that player, then then great. But, I mean, yeah, let's see. It could still be a midfielder, I suspect. Darren, big announcement tomorrow on the last day of the window. Uh, central defender or midfielder? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would um, say centre-half, um, um, central defender, sorry, uh, at the moment. I agree with both Kerrin and, and Richie on, on the assessment of... of uh, where we're at in that, I, I I won't be disappointed if it is another midfielder. That's for sure. Um, and and I agree again with Richie that that Elmizuzo is is come in and and probably given the manager a good headache. Uh, Love the fact that there was a Tunisian flag by some yes, of the young lads in there. Because I tell you what, I don't emphasise this point, but I think he really appreciated it as yeah. a player. Uh, and little things like that, I'm hoping they'll make a difference. And, and yeah, great, great to see that. So whoever, whoever brought that along, well done. Well done, well done. Yeah, it makes them feel welcome. It makes them feel like they're at home. So yeah, yeah well done, lads. Yeah, of course. Right, well, let's move on just before we turn to our Omar Beckles interview to the Papa John's Trophy last night at, uh, at Oxford. Um, the manager made the point that because he's fielded a pretty consistent starting 11 all season in the league, there were players who needed game time. So a clean sweep of 11 changes against League One Oxford, who very unsportingly uh, for a League One, decent League One team, made only four changes and unsurprisingly won very convincingly. Um, Rich and I followed it on Orient TV. Uh, Karen and Darren nobly made the trip, so you can have first dibs. Yeah, go on, Darren. <laughs> well, I'm going I'm to pick the pounds out of the positives again. Right. Um, I thought uh, young Iberio looked OK. Uh, we were saying off air that he's at Royston, I think, on loan. I'd like to see, with all due respect to Royston, particularly given that they've got Steve Castle there, so I'm going to be very careful what I say because Steve quite often joins us in the turn. I don't want to get on the wrong side of him. Um, I, I would like to sort of see him play slightly higher up the pyramid to see what else he can offer. And then the other one, I thought, Steve, that had a good game was Giorgio, Anthony Giorgio. Um, I, I'm a bit perplexed why he's not sort of on the bench a bit more regularly and um, thought he... He came out last night with probably the only player with any credit, in, in, in all honesty, because let's be honest, the rest of the lads didn't didn't really deserve any credit for the performance they put in. He's a strange one, Giorgio, isn't he? Because it didn't get a lot pre-season either, I, I think, although he did, uh, he did show up well. I guess it's that position wide on the left, that's where he played last night, wasn't it? And, and maybe he's not going to get many chances in that position. Yeah, I also felt though that he was drifting into the centre quite a bit, and and I felt that um, that's a position that the you're going to pick up injuries in every position. I know, but that to me is a position that you generally do have to 
work a lot and therefore you're on the ball more, you're getting tackled more and therefore you're going to pick up more injuries. So I, I, I liked him. I liked what I saw from him last night and, and it looks like he's filled out a bit as well. From mm. So yeah, no, I, I, I think there's a player in there potentially for us. Karen, give us some more positives. Go on. Well, I, well, I don't know if it's positive, <laughs> but uh, I'll try. But um, no, I think, I think we all thought that there would be a few changes, but I don't think we thought it would be a wholesale 11 changes. Um, but at the same time, you know, as Richie said, they all need a bit of, you know, got, they've all got 90 minutes in their tank now. Um, another one who I'd like to mention about, other than Oberia and Georgia, who I thought played very well, was I thought Brown played quite well as well. It was just a shame that um, they're all midfielders and strikers that we're talking about <laughs> and not defenders. Yeah. But um, Sergeant, it's like, well, now you know why Vigaroo's in goal. Yeah. And, um, but it was nice to see Aaron Drynan come back on the pitch. He got, he got some minutes towards the end. So uh, at least we can say that we saw that, Darren, hey? That was pretty much the only positive about the whole night, really, I think. I mean, for me, the frustration was... Like, you know, Richie said earlier they need the ninety minutes, and I completely agree. And but obviously, I, you know, I was I was vocal on the group last night, and you know, before this, we we came on air, and you know, for me, the, the frustration for me was that you know the, the sense of I mean, you know, Jaden Sweeney. I mean, I don't really know something like that. What does it do for his confidence? You know, Connor Wood's told he's got no future. You know, so why is Jaden Sweeney the one played out of position when he's a left back? He should be playing at left back. We know that Thompson's good at right back. I would have put him in the centre. And, you know, whether Connorwood then plays on the right or he plays in the centre and, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, but... It's like when Wood came off, you could see them all sort of shift over. Yeah, so and, and even then, because Jane Sweeney had, had such a bad game at centre-half, he, he seemed just as bad at left-back, really. And I think but if he'd have started there, I think he would have been... Knocked, yeah, exactly, that's what I mean. Goes, so. if, he'd have, if he'd have started at left-back, he might have... You know, we may have grown into the game a lot more, but when you're playing in an unfamiliar position and, you know, you're getting roasted and, and you're at fault for a lot, then even when you move to your natural position, your confidence is shot, you're all over the place. And I, I just think it was kind of set up wrong from the start. I mean, I completely understand about getting minutes and, and things like that, but, you know, I don't think someone as young as that should be the player who's out of position when, when there's a player that's been told that, you know, they're not needed. You know, they should surely be the one that... You know, what's the point of seeing him at left back? Because he's not going to be here to play there anyway, unless there is a chance for him to come back in. But it's square pegs and round holes. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. And a little, well, a little bit hard. The same argument you could say about on Adam Thompson, really, to um, to be playing at right back, which he can do to fill in. But he's not he's not getting the opportunity to play in his best position, is he? Yeah, but he's older. Uh, I agree with with Rishi, the assessment of that. I, I would have been happy to see Thompson play uh, as a centre half last night. And and yeah, no, I, I I think that we can't be too critical, can we? Let's be honest. You know, it, it, we are where we are in the league, and for us to come on as as fans with a little bit of knowledge, I think we're we're we're, we're probably. I hope Richie's not listening right now. Let's put it that way. <laughs> there you are, the Orient Hour, the program that's even positive after a five-nil defeat. Um, Matt Harold was uh, doing the media duties uh, afterwards. He used words like frustrated, and but insisted it, it was not something to dwell on. So let's hope that's the case. A uh, reminder of the two other group games in the competition, which are both at home on, on Tuesday nights. Three weeks' time, 20th of September, is against Sutton. And then the 18th of October is against Chelsea under-21s, which, well, I think it could be interesting because some people hate having these Premier League teams, don't they? Any, uh, any views on the, the under-21s being in it? Um, not particularly got views about the under-21s being in it. 
quite nice to have some Chelsea come over to us and see what our ground's actually like because we haven't played them in a few years. So uh, if some of their supporters are going to come over, it would be nice to see them. Supporters club will be open. Um, but I think that we've got a chance against Sutton and Chelsea. So if we win those two games, then yesterday's game will be forgotten about. It will. Rich, any yeah. feelings about the under-20? I think some of it is that people are worried that the EFL will get the old idea of getting some of these Premier League under-21 teams into the into League 2 and so on. Yeah, like I mean, I, yeah, I hate it. I don't see the point of it, to be honest. I, you know, what game? What good does it do them? What good does it do us? I think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be that fussed about watching an under-20. I mean, you know, the thing is, even though under-21s teams, there's, there's not going to be players that you've particularly heard of, really, I don't think, or anything. It's not like there's there's up and coming. You know, they're all going to be in the first-team squad somewhere or out on loan. So I, I don't really see what you get. And I think that's why we see, you know, 11 changes in games and things like that and, and lower tendencies because it kind of... It's, I mean, I was never a fan of the competition anyway, I've got to be honest. Um, but, you know, I have even less enthusiasm about it now when... I just think they're just glorified friendlies, which I suppose is why a 5-0 defeat doesn't hurt as much as it would do sometimes. I was going to say, the EFL sold out really to the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so part of the problem, I guess, is that um, some of us, me definitely, possibly even Darren, are old enough to remember when we had proper reserve teams. I mean, in the old days, actually playing on a Saturday afternoon as well, which is presumably not very practical now if you've got to have 18 players on on first-team duty. But then we went... If people remember the London Midweek League, I'm sure people do, which was much better because the coaches and managers could watch the games and so on. I, I, I agree, Steve, but I think it's moved on. I agree with you. I remember the old Combination League and, and leagues like that, um, but they don't exist anymore. I'm a fan of the competition. I, I'll be honest, I know I'm, I'm in a very small minority amongst most Orient fans. I think it gives us a chance to get minutes to players like we did last night that need it given the fact that there isn't no longer a good competitive uh, combination league or London league or, or reserve league. So, no, I, I, I have, don't really like the fact that the uh, academies are playing it, but I accept it. And I think there's an upside to it because we can forge relationships with clubs. We can see players that potentially we can get into our team. Um, so I, I'm not... Um, going to probably ever see Leighton or unfortunately win the FA Cup anymore. I think that ship sailed. So would I like to see us running around Wembley parading one of those trophies? Yes, I would. All right. Well, high time for Mr Omar Beckles, who was uh, one of those given a night off for the Oxford game. I spoke to him on Zoom earlier today. Well, Omar, thanks for your time. Um, We'll talk about the fine start to the season shortly, but tell us a bit first about your real roundabout uh, journey from being born locally to uh, returning to East London. What what were the very early days like in um, Walthamstow Way? Yeah, I guess um, I I grew up in Walthamstow um, on the drive. Um, I, um, yeah, I guess what I got got into football, playing out with my mates and found myself playing for a local team called Inswood. Um, they've produced quite a few players who have come through our academy system. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was part of that Sunday league club, so I was to in and throwing. And um, there's always been a local lad that have gone past Leighton Orient, um, although it's kind of like a second team. I've grown up as an Arsenal fan. Um, so, yeah, as, as, a, as a local lad, I got into football really late. But um, there, after going on my journey, um, yeah, I found myself at Millwall doing my scholarship and um, football t- took me all over the country, really even out of the country. I was out in Spain for a bit, for a year and a half. So 
so yeah but it was always kind of I've always had a close connection with the local borough I played for my local borough Waltham Forest um, and I've always kind of felt quite connected to the local area so even when I was playing away um, in the northwest for Shrewsbury for Crewe um, I've always kind of kept tabs on Leighton Orient how they've got on with results and so on um, so it's always been a club that's close to my heart in a sense so uh, it was always kind of on the cards that I'll be playing for Leighton Orient at some point um, but yeah maybe sooner than I thought it would be but it was looking back on it probably the perfect time well that's good to hear um, yes that time in Spain was interesting uh, how did all that come about Jerez wasn't it yeah so um, when um, I got released from Millwall and during that period they used to do exit trials so um, we did exit trials and got picked up for a further trial with the Glen Hoddles Academy um, Glen Hoddles Academy that was situated in in Spain there was a few glamorous stories that came out of there with the Anya, I think, who played for Seville. He got picked up by Seville. Um, so once that, once that story got out, there was a lot of young players that were like, oh my gosh, I really want to go over to Spain because at that point in time, you know, Barcelona were really taking off and they were dominating in the Champions League and a tiki-taka football. Um, that has kind of you know, changed the way the game's even played today. So, um, so yeah, we, we, we all kind of jumped on the bandwagon, jumped to the opportunity. Because at that point in time, there was no 23s football. So that the bridge in the gap between being a young lad and then being ready for men's football is such a hard jump for a lot of lads. Some, some people do it, but a lot of us may, might not. Um, so, yeah, it was probably too soon for me to jump into men's football, but that played a pivotal part in me progressing as a player. Um, really enjoyed the experience and connected with some amazing people whilst out there. Um, we're still friends to this day. and um, But yeah, it really laid a good foundation for me and it was a good experience. You know, we played for, a, they had a team out there, um, Jerez, who um, played in one of, one of the lower divisions, I can't even remember to this day. And it was a tough reality because there was a bunch of English lads playing in the Spanish league, predominantly English lads, and they, um, they definitely let us know that they weren't fond of the way we were doing things because we had like one or two Spanish lads. And refs gave us a hard time, teams gave us a hard time. Um, they were just not interested in what we were trying to do. So, so yeah, but it was a good experience. So you came back to a whole host of, of non-league clubs and Borenwood and Bitteriki and St Albans and Aldershot and any of those full-time or were you always having to work at other jobs? Yeah, so there was a few of them that were giving it a go of being full-time and were luring in, sucking in young players like myself that were still ambitious. Um, I went to Kettering and they were attempting to do a full-time sort of thing, um, but they couldn't even pay our wages come the second month, um, which was devastating. So I ended up going back to Bournemouth um, and um, playing for Billericay, as you mentioned. Um, the season after that, I then went to Histon. And whilst I was at Histon, they had this, it wasn't quite full-time, but it wasn't quite semi, like, you know, part-time. It was, it was in like three days a week. So, and there was a lot of young lads. It was a really, really young team. So, um, so yeah, it was a big distance for me to travel, but nonetheless really enjoyed um, that experience. But then when it came to January, they couldn't fund us. They couldn't pay our wages either. So, yeah, there was a few teams that were attempting at that point in time to try and do the full-time thing, and it just really didn't work. And So, yeah, kind of lost my head at times. But, um, but yeah, when I was semi-pro and I was part-time, I found myself doing a lot of PE teaching, um, doing a lot of coaching, did my B licence when I was really young. Um, so, yeah, I was quite, quite into the whole coaching side of things. Oh, that was useful. And then, what, about six years ago, you finally made it into the Football League and up north at Accrington. Was it a case, really, of going anywhere just to get a league club? 
yeah, I was, I was just, I was a young lad that was really desperate, passionate about football, and just really wanted the opportunity to like just play league football. It's just a young boy's dream at the end of the day. Um, so I was prepared to go wherever, wherever they sent me. I, I went out of Spain for a year and a half, so it kind of shows that I was willing to just go wherever it would take me, wherever football would take me for me to yeah just have a career and um, enjoy doing what I'm doing. So um, so yeah, and they gave me the opportunity. I think I was maybe. I've always kind of said I was starved of opportunities to be, show what I can do. And once I was given the opportunity, I'd like to think I've taken them wherever I've gone. Um, so, yeah, they gave me the opportunity and it was a really, really good experience. And I'm really grateful for them giving me that opportunity because of, yeah, it's just allowed me to, yeah, see a lot of the world and, and enjoy my football career and progress. And, yeah, so it's been a good experience. And do you remember playing against Orient at that? It was a horrible relegation season, I think. A 5 0 win for Accrington. Do you remember that one? I do. I, that was at Accrington. Um, I do remember that. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't remember who, if, if any of the lads that are currently here or anyone I know that was playing, but I definitely remember that being like a, it was an enjoyable day for us. I'm sure not for you guys. But um, it was, it, it's, it a was tough, a... it's a tough place to go to. It's a tough place to go to for a lot of people. Um, the distance, the, the stand, the surroundings, it's not something you're really up for. Um, and we use that to our advantage, really. And next stop, Shrewsbury, three long seasons, and that's when your, your international career started with Grenada, the Spice Boys. Um, mm -hmm. Seven caps, enjoyable times there? Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed my time at, at Shrewsbury. Um, yeah, it, like, I, I definitely had to adapt. It was an adaptable period where I found myself playing in a different position but I enjoyed my football um, it helped me push on physically in ways that I probably never would have pushed myself physically um, and yeah I, I, yeah, like I've got the accolades that I enjoyed there you know being getting to Wembley twice and unfortunately losing both games but the experience nonetheless was incredible and um, being a part of the team of the season um, yeah just all of that was really really good good experience for myself so I really enjoyed my time at Shrewsbury. It was a lovely area, lovely people. Um, yeah, got nothing but good memories, really. Um, so, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And obviously, yeah, then it was then at that point in time where I found myself taking the opportunity to go and play for Grenada, really because there was enough foreign players for me to do so. So, they, obviously, if I go and play for Grenada, there's not, they don't, at League One and League Two, they don't really um, acknowledge the international break because you've got not enough internationals to go away. So if I go away, that then really affects my own um, opportunity to play league games. And I've always prioritised league games. Um, at the end of the day, this is where I get... That's my bread and butter. This is what pays the mortgage. I need to prioritise it. If I go away and I get injured, it has a knock-on effect. So I've always prioritised league football um, until... And obviously, no disrespect to Grenada. It's not, it's not the biggest of nations where it's probably credible... And it's an advantage for me to play for them, whereas it would be more respectful for higher teams or whatever it is to be like, oh, he plays for this team. So, so I'm, I'm well aware of that. So nonetheless, that's why it wasn't really the right time. But when I was at Grenade, um, Shrewsbury, there was a there was another Grenadian. There was actually two Grenadians with my team. So, um, so the time was right for me to go away and represent my country. And it was a real personal thing because my dad's from there and he's passed away. So yeah, just it was a real something that was close to my heart and really enjoyed the experience. Yeah, you mentioned your dad there. That that was a real family tragedy. He died in his late fifties, didn't he? Tell us a bit about how that affected you, and I think possibly even affected your football at the time. 
yeah, well, I wouldn't even say it affected my football in a negative way. Uh, it definitely affected me um, emotionally, um, but in, in a weird way, it affected me in a positive way football-wise because it gave me a new level of focus and responsibility because obviously I was the oldest sibling, old, oldest boy in the house. And I kind of traditionally thought it's my responsibility to step up as a man and, you know, be the man in the house. And um, it was a pressure that I that helped motivate me football-wise, um, but it also was a pressure that probably was too much of a burden for myself later on. And once my dad passed away, which was tragic in the manner in which it happened, very sudden, um, I was at St. Albans at the time. Um, but yeah, I did put that pressure on myself that I really wanted to take care of my family. Um, and then from then on, I, I really, I, I kicked on. I really kicked on. I went to all the shots the next season, was there full time and did very well. And then, like you mentioned, I was in at Accrington and then Shrewsbury. So I dealt with like successive kind of promotions in a sense where I was playing and went from when my dad passed away. So it didn't really affect my playing personally, but emotionally there were games where I stepped away from games and I was emotional that he wasn't there to experience it with me. So we played at, he's a West Ham fan. I played at West Ham with Accrington that season. And um, yeah, I remember going back to my home in, in East London and just being emotional and just crying, really. Just I was breaking down because of, he wasn't there to witness that. Um, so yeah, there's moments like that which was emotional, but nonetheless, I think it almost affected me in a positive way um, how I apply myself um, yeah and really stepping up to the plate yeah and a lot of fans probably won't know unless they read your Wikipedia page that he was a notable musician your dad in the band Central Line um, got pretty close to the top 20 I think at one stage didn't they yeah 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 um, yeah Luke um, our media guy was um, kind enough to play his song uh, during the, one of the start of our games kind of in the, during the warm up period but yeah, they were on top of the pops. He's toured the world. He's a, a decent musician. So um, yeah, I guess quote unquote, if you're on top of the pops, you're a little bit of a celebrity to an extent. So so yeah, and they still even in even in his days where he was kind of re- like no longer in the band, and they, they kind of did reunions where they would get together and they performed at O2, I think, one occasion. So um, the Indigo. So yeah, no, yeah, he was a uh, in in one way to put it, he was a bit of a big deal. <laughs> but yeah, he's um, a good musician. And um, a really talented man, really. So, yeah. What, what sort of music, uh, for those of us who don't remember, jazz funk or just R&B and soul stuff? And did you like it? Yeah, and no, I loved it. I loved it. It was more jazz funk. Um, yeah, jazz funk is definitely the kind of type of music that it was. Um, and, yeah, I really liked it. It's this kind of boogie music, really. Makes you want to shake a leg. Um, so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and you were always, I think, quite a religious family. Did that help you cope through that time as well? A thousand percent, a thousand percent. So my dad at the time was no longer a musician. He was actually a pastor um, of a church. And um, it, at that point in time in my life, where I, obviously I shared with you the disappointments of the setbacks for the teams I was going to and full-time and chasing the dream. Um, at that point in time, my dad really kind of just discipled me and really showed me what it was, because I, I grew up in church. And I kind of had second-hand faith. I never really had a personal relationship with God. But, um, yeah, once I dealt with those levels of disappointment, um, I really started to just walk out my own faith and have a real personal relationship. Um, Yeah, and and I I really, yeah, I guess that played a massive part in how I coped with the trauma of um, losing my father as well. Um, Definitely felt like there's a scripture that says, be anxious for nothing but in all your ways through prayer. 
and supplication, um, make a request known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will, will comfort you. And I just definitely felt like I encountered that level of peace that um, def- definitely surpassed understanding. Like I said to you, if, if you're losing and you have such trauma, um, it tends to have a negative effect, but I almost kind of had a level of peace um, continue to do what I was doing. So, um, yeah, my faith has played a pivotal part in my walk, um, uh, just, yeah, in all that I do. So, yeah. And I believe that that applies to one or two other people at Orient as well, but is it the sort of subject that's ever discussed in the dressing room or is it something that's really just kept private? No, we, we try our best to... We try... It, it's, we have our moments where there are private conversations. There's a few of us that um, are believers and we like to get together and we like to just, you know... Um, pray for any needs, any requests, pray for our teammates. Um, so we do that you know, once a week. We'll try our best to get together. But that's a private thing that we do. Nonetheless, the few that we welcome in to join us. Um, but, um, but yeah, thereafter, there are conversations that we do have. Um, not that we forcefully bring out these conversations, but they just naturally just happen. You know, as your teammates, you just wanna, you're curious about what you do and why you do this and do that. So, um, so yeah, there's been so many conversations that we had, maybe on away games, on coaches. And, um, yeah, we do our best to try and just, um, yeah, in- encourage lads to have their eyes open to potentially what it is that we believe. Because we do, uh, my, my calling as a Christian is to go and make disciples, is to um, be a light wherever I can be and, and, and love on others. So um, we definitely do our best to try and step out and support our teammates as best as possible. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, well, at Orient, at present, there's a lot to be thankful for, whoever we thank. Um, are you at all surprised just how well the uh, the League Two season has gone so far? Um, am I surprised? I guess everyone would be subtly surprised maybe how well it has gone. Um, but um, but no, have I, do I know that we have that potential? Um, I've definitely felt like we've had that potential. We're definitely capable of that. We've kind of kept the same group that we did last season. And we showed spells of doing what we've done um, so far this season. And I think really the squad's got a little bit more depth to it, um, more, a lot more competition for places. And I think it's only bringing out the best in us. Um, so, yeah, there is, a, there is an element of surprise. But um, I definitely not surprised in the fact that these players that are here are more than capable to continue to do what we are, what we started to do. Tell us a bit about um, Richie Wellings as manager, because you must have had a good few managers over the, the course of your years. Um, what about Richie? Yeah, no, he's a, he's a good manager. Um, young, got bright ideas, tactically. Um, yeah, he's, he's got he's got really paints a really good picture for us as players to kind of know what we're doing when we go out onto the pitch, um, which helps us. Um, most definitely when you're tactically set up and you know what you're going to do and you know where people are going to be, definitely sets us up really, really well. So that's been a massive positive and he's, and he's really open to understanding each individual player um, and how they, how, they, how they function, how they deal with stuff, their personality. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've got nothing but good stuff so far to say um, about him and hopefully he remains that way. Is he a bit more hands-on than, say, Kenny Jacket? Is he kind of managers on the training ground with you every day? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, he's a lot more hands-on. Um, like I said, he's got a lot of ideas and, and I, I think he likes to really make sure that's clearly understood. Um, but don't get me wrong, I say as much as he's hands-on, there, there's, it's, a, it's a collective 
job that's being done. He's delegating that as well to the rest of the staff, um, both Matt and PT. Um, they have a, a very influential role in, in translating what it is that he wants. Um, but yeah, it's definitely maybe in contrast to maybe the likes of Kenny Jacket, who was a bit more hands-off. Um, Joe Gallon was very hands-on with regards to training sessions, at least a bit more so. Um, but yeah, 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 I'd, I'd say he's a little bit more hands-on than the previous. We don't want to dwell too much on last season, but it's interesting to hear from anybody who was involved, really, on just how the team and squad could go from looking so good early on to that terrible period in the new year. Do you have any ideas at all? Yeah, I just think you can't... Un I guess some people don't like to acknowledge the fact that the obvious is just right in front of our eyes. We, we incurred a lot of injuries and we were the only team to have so many games missed. And you lose momentum, you're going you're gonna to just... You're starting from fresh again. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we obviously... I think last game, I played Swindon. We won 4-1, I think it was. And then I didn't play again. I missed two games because of COVID. But then after that, I didn't play again until the end of January. And I was like, the 7th of December all the way to the end of January, which was a game against Stoke. And then we didn't even play the next week, we played the week after. So at that point, you're, not, you're no longer functioning off the momentum that you previously built. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel like th th there were so many factors that just didn't work in, in, in our favour. Um, but yeah, that coupled with the pressure, coupled with how things were dealt with thereafter, definitely was the nail in the coffin. But um, but yeah, I think there were so many things that were out of our control that weren't helpful. Well, we can't force it anyway, the way it's going. Um, I suppose just one problem to finish with, even more than last season, a good start um, leads to great expectations, doesn't it, for the rest of the season? Yeah, you could say so. I guess we, we want to build on the momentum and it gives us a good good chance to build on what we did last season. Um, but yeah, look, we're just looking to take it game by game. I think if you get too bogged down with the end result, you kind of miss the process and the journey, which is the most important thing to get to where you want to get to at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, look, we, we really want to have a positive season this season. We really want to have something to celebrate about. Um, but yeah, it's vital that we kind of take each game at a time. Um, and that's where that's our focus at the end of the day. So yeah, beyond this Saturday playing against Tramia, um, yeah, we're really not looking beyond that as things stand. There we are, Omar Beckles speaking to us earlier today. Um, anything that struck you about what he had to say? Nice guy. Karen, I think you met him at the training ground, didn't you? Yeah, we did when uh, we went along for the sponsors day a while ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. But yeah, it was uh, such a nice guy. So if he approached us and he was chatting away and it was, yeah, really nice. It's nice to hear that he's come across well as well in your interview with him. And happy that we're uh, we keeping him at centre half. Whoever comes in as well, we're uh, happy with his form. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to echo there. I thought he came across really well there. Actually, um, you know, he, all of us sitting here actually listening to every word he said there as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's the he's the senior player at the back, I think, and which is the important thing. Um, it looks like Thompson's going to be the, a more of a right back and, and cover. So. Um, you know, for, for me, he probably hasn't quite hit the heights of where I hope, like this time last season, I thought he looked phenomenal. Um, I would say this season he's not quite got to there yet. Um, I still feel, as I mentioned earlier, all of our centre-backs make me slightly nervous sometimes. Um, but as the senior centre-back there, I think, you know, he's probably the one that I would like to see 
Ayanava with rather than him being dropping out, I think, at the moment. Good stuff. Well, let's turn our thoughts to Tranmere Rovers, who come to Brisbane Road on Saturday. Dulcet Dave has been doing just that for Victor's View. The O's remain top, achieving another important victory in E10 on Saturday. But you still got the impression that we haven't seen the best from this group of players. No doubt that Tramir will provide tougher opposition. But as Richie told me after our victory over Hartlepool, let's not moan, let's be positive, And there's plenty to be positive about. Not least the consistency of George Moncur from the spot. The sharpness of Charlie Kelman, the former Paul Smith. And it was good to see Will Soturio opening his account. Both the goals conceded, disappointing from an orient perspective, and will need to maintain high levels of focus when Mickey Mellon's men come to E10. These are exciting times. Good to see Aaron Drynan going through his paces before kick-off on Saturday. He featured also in the second half at Oxford, when fully fit, our hard-working striker, will add to our exciting attacking options. There are important lessons to be learnt from our midweek defeat at Oxford. The 11 changes that Richie made confirmed where his priorities lie and it's definitely not in either the League Cup or the Papa John's Trophy. Orient's problems were in both boxes. We created chances but failed to capitalise and we paid the price for individual as well as collective lapses in defence. As Matt Howard explained afterwards, we need to learn from those errors, draw a line under a poor performance and quickly refocus on what matters, the league and the visit of Tramir. We should also seek to reduce the number of bookings we're collecting. 15 so far in the league, only Gillingham have more with 17. When you consider that Saturday's visitors have only picked up five yellow cards in their opening six matches, there's definitely room for improvement. And the fact that so many of Orient's cautions do not relate to tackles or fouls, suggests that the majority are surely avoidable. These disciplinary points will quickly add up. Suspensions could disrupt the momentum and the sense of common purpose that Richie has worked so hard to install and which we'll want to see at Brisbane Road again on Saturday against the Tramier side who are widely tipped to challenge for promotion this season. But Rovers will be looking to improve on a slow start. Their two victories have both come at home, beating Gillingham and last week Colchester. Tramier's form... Significantly better last season at home than that on the road. Their only away day point this season came at Hartlepool with a goalless draw. But they did take maximum points from their last visit to E10 on the final day of the season. And Saturday is set to be a fascinating test for Richie Wellens' men. Thank you, Dave. Yes, Tranmere, uh, who ended up a couple of places, a couple of points uh, short of the playoffs only last season. Uh, Not a great start this time, as Dave has said. But they have won, of course, on their last two visits uh, to us because it was the 3-1 defeat the year before, if you remember, that uh, brought an end to Ross Embleton's time in charge. Although, of course, we did beat them 4-0 in the FA Cup last season. So what do we think, Darren, about uh, the challenge which Tranmere Rovers will present? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Tranmere. Uh, like I say, they've had, they've had some good fortunes down in Brisbane Road, haven't they? Um, yes, I think this is going to be a test without a shadow of a doubt. I'm not sure... Steve, in all honesty, on this one. I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. I think we'll win, but I think uh, 2-1. And Rich, don't know whether it be on your acker or not, but um, <laughs> line-ups, same again. Another 11 changes from Oxford. Presumably. Yeah, I'll be very surprised um, if there's any, unless it's injuries or suspensions or anything. I don't think there's any suspensions, is there? But any injuries, I think it'll be the 11 again. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go along with a, a close, because, I mean, Tramir are a good League 2 team, I think, so I'll, I'll go with what Darren says, a, a close game, but we will edge it. 
And uh, Karen, the general point that Dave Victor made, there are 15 yellow cards. We do see most seasons to be pretty near the, the top of our table for yellow cards. Um, some of them quite silly, aren't they? They do annoy us a little bit. I was going to say, some of them are through petulance, aren't they? Uh, Ruel got one yesterday, didn't he, for kicking the ball away after not getting awarded a penalty, which I thought was a good shout, but hey. Um, but yeah, but he kicked the ball away, so that's another yellow card. You know, they know they're going to get yellow cards for it. Don't get why they do it, but they do it, you know. And if we're top of that league, who cares really if we're top of the proper league at the end of the season? Absolutely. Well, a minute or so left for any other business. Um, you may have, the club have just announced today, um, not only a new signing tomorrow, but uh, a new initiative, an annual initiative, the International Day. Uh, we have a lot of supporters from other countries, as we know. We know there are about uh, people in about 30 countries listening to this programme. And on uh, Saturday, 15th of October, which is the home game with Northampton, you've got the chance to get uh, a private tour of the stadium, meeting Martin Ling, lunch, then a pre-game chat with Richie Wellens, and after-match dinner with the players and and coaches apparently uh, full details are all on the website it'll cost you about 299 pounds but have a look at the website if you think that would be a good day out to london and also a volunteer match reporter wanted for um, late orient's women you've got to be 18 plus perhaps uh, any young budding reporters who could uh, go to the women's games and do a report and social media and so on that's your chance again have a look at the website well the final whistle is about to go uh, no transfer news today but we're promised some tomorrow thanks this week to Omar Beckles to Rich Kerrin and Darren in the studio to our producer Andy Gilson see you on Saturday sing loud and sing long and up the O's We're not a city we're not a town we're the only one of us around and you know where we can be found when Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the best Whatever challenge, whatever test We'll lay an Orient from each end Lay an Orient from each end This is our club and we are proud So sing it up and sing it loud We were formed in 1881 Clans in Orient and so begun The old story and on it runs We're late and Orient from Eton Whatever challenge has come our way The only faithful are here to stay we will live to fight another day We're late and Orient from Eton Late and Orient from Eton This is our club and we are proud So sing it up and sing it loud We're not a city, we're not a town we're the only one of us around So you know where we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the vest Whatever challenge, whatever test We're late and orient from each end. 
Lay an Orient, bow me ten. Lay an Orient.